Is this going to delay my nap? <laughs> Upper class! I'm an oil man. <laughs> it's the Jack the Ripper special. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's not a wildebeest to be fought over by slavering hyenas. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. You are the loveliest girl I have ever known. And now I have to let you go. Well, I hope not before the end of this podcast, because it's kind of this whole husband-wife co-hosting Right. It's, it is part thing. of our deal, but apparently I have to. But there's still another season of Downton Abbey. <laughs> yeah, I guess there is. Yeah, I think you should probably reconsider. All right. I think you should hang out. All right. I'll All right? Ta- take this under advisement. Great. I mean, look. I mean, to be fair, just because I let you go doesn't mean you have to actually go. Yeah, that's true. I'm just releasing you from your contract. Does this mean you'll still do a bunch of stuff for me? <laughs> like, go get me drinks and, like, carry the rent check upstairs and, like, take the compost out? Yes. I'm not really sure why I even brought this up then, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. It's the same we do. Real, I don't know. real waste of time, <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. It's our motto. I'm docking your pay. <laughs> JK, we have a joint checking account. He wouldn't be able to be docked. Yep. Uh, anyway, welcome back, cousins. Oh my gosh, what a long, strange journey it's been. <laughs> it has been. Here we are at the end of Mr. Selfridge, Series 2. Yeah. There were times we thought it would never end. <laughs> and there were times when we were sad that it was going to. Right. Uh, but it's over. It's done. We've all watched it. Yeah. And now we have thoughts on it. We do. But first, we have our Cousin of the Week. Ah. This week's cousin has requested to remain anonymous. All right. So we will say this is Cousin Anonymous writes. <laughs> I want to start by saying two things. I don't know anything about World War I era refugee asylum laws, solely contemporary accounts. I don't want to get too maudlin. My perspective is much more about watching the actual process of people attempting to claim refugee status or asylum than refugees' actual experiences once they've entered their new country. Just to reinforce my second point, I'll say that I have two good friends who came to the U.S. as refugees, one from Africa, the other from the Middle East, and they are both really awesome, successful people who appreciate the magnitude of their experiences and enjoy their lives, despite the hardships they went through, which were myriad, time spent in refugee camps, separation from family members on legal technicalities, the only to be expected hardships of landing in a new country with no language, no money, and no connections. While working in Country X, a country in the Middle East that the U.S. invaded relatively recently, I got a chance to talk to a lot of people who had worked for the U.S. and were now claiming or attempting to claim a special immigrant visa, SIV, which was open to, if I remember right, any citizen of Country X who had worked for the U.S. government for more than a year. While it's a great idea that I really support, the reality is that it can take a long time to process those claims. The people who are trying to get into the U.S. on SIVs are subject to the same security background checks as anyone else trying to get a U.S. visa, even though they already went through extensive background checks just to get their job. This can take years. Compound that with the regular old bureaucracy of attempting to get into the U.S., and the wait gets not just tedious, but downright dangerous. People who worked for us in the countries where SIV is a thing have been killed waiting to get cleared. For a truly depressing look at this system, I recommend you listen to this episode of This American Life on the SIV program, and we will provide that link if we remember. Yes. Even though I'm not there anymore, I still occasionally am put in touch with people who worked for the U.S. in some capacity who want to claim refugee status. Unfortunately, some of them are simply ineligible for the SIV program, 
they need to actually be able to get to the U.S. to file for refugee states. For a lot of those people, that is simply impossible. It is the second worst feeling in the world to be in contact with someone who legitimately fears for his family's lives and might not be able to do a damn thing to help them because of the ways the various programs meant to help are constructed. The worst feeling is when you can't get in touch with them anymore. Cousin Anonymous. Uh, who also adds, P.S., your Agnes Towler impression is my new favorite thing. Uh, so there's a bit of levity in there. Right. So um, I just wanted to share this. It's not our usual lighthearted cousin of the weekery geekery. Right, right. But just uh, for all of us to keep in mind sort of how difficult it is in a country that is in the midst of war to get out. Yeah. Um, even if you have a perfectly legitimate claim to get out. So. Yeah. Uh, check out that episode of This American Life. We will do the same. And perhaps uh, if we do a standalone Repeats History Fashion Backwards episode, we can dig a little bit deeper into refugee status in World War One and see what that process was like mm-hmm. and uh, how people adjusted. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's do this. Let's do it. The final episode begins with family dinner at the Selfridges. And boy, it's rambunctious. <laughs> It's kind of like family dinner at my house. (laughs) Yeah. When me and all my brothers are home. Yeah. (laughs) And so all the children are talking at the same time, and and Harry apologizes to May, saying that they are a rowdy bunch. Uh, Then abruptly, Rosalie gets up and she says she's got so many friends to meet, so she's heading out. Like Roddy Temple? (laughs) Like Roddy the Rat? Well, and all of his friends. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, those bohemian slobs. Yeah. A new Gordon says he's going to go to the pictures. New Violette says that she will go with him. And new Beatrice asks Pa to make them take her with them. And as she is the Dark Lord's representative on Earth, what choice do they have? You would think. The walls are going to start bleeding if you don't let her go to the pictures. (laughs) Yeah. But, well, see, their problem is even if they do let her go to the pictures, the walls might start bleeding, which is horribly embarrassing for them. (laughs) I'm so sorry, Lady May. Whenever Beatrice is in town, the walls just tend to bleed. (laughs) (laughs) A Rose then announces that it is Thanksgiving in a couple of days, and she wants them all to sit down as a family for the entire evening. I really appreciated this little slice. Yeah. Because I remember my mom used to get so mad at me when I would come home from college for Thanksgiving and like want to go out the night before, aka the biggest drinking night of the year. (laughs) Like, I'm going to miss that mom. Uh, But she would always be mad that like I didn't like want to hang out with like my family. Mm -hmm. Oh, I wasn't getting along with at the time. So anyway, yeah. Fast forward, things are much better now. Oh, they are. But you know, I mean, but just you know, and you know, kids all going off in different directions, and it just I liked seeing what that looked like in Edwardian times. Right. So that was really fun. Yeah, I mean, at least in this, you know, American family, you know, situation. But I think, I mean, you know, Rosalie's going out to see friends. I mean, you know, it may just be making calls, but right, kids are going out and having parties and stuff. Yeah, you that's know? true. True. Fat Thomas and Igor sit in Joe's <laughs> restaurant slash cave. Yeah. Uh, it's no longer the bustling urban eatery it once was. Right. It looks like Miss Havisham's. It looks like maybe like an abandoned bomb shelter. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Uh, appropriately, Fat Thomas says it's going to need sprucing up before the wedding. Yeah. Uh understatement of the series (laughs) right like oh my god it looks terrible and i'm like they're trying to have this wedding while george is still on leave like that arm is not going to take that long to heal right you don't have that kind of time yeah and also like it's just 
it's just always lit by like one candle like no they always have like a peat fire going like i didn't know that was a thing in london i thought they'd invented coal by now yeah uh anyway igor uh awkwardly ignores this fact and toast mr and mrs Caliano. and i feel i could be wrong i feel that igor feels a bit skeptical about this whole dog and pony show i mean plenty of people do yeah at Martel House, Florian knocks on the door of Martel's room. She opens, and he asks, what have I done to offend you? You do a really nice Florian. Thank you. He throws me for a loop, man. <laughs> a Martel says that it is wrong for them to be together. Florian asks, who says that it is wrong? A ginger! <laughs> she says that she is too old for him. He says that she made this decision without even consulting him and what he knows is that they made each other happy and he loves her and she doesn't get to decide that oh i think that's one for florian i agree martel still got like 50 because she got him at violin <laughs> right but never go up against i mean this guy's basically a college student don't go up against him in like you know romantic declarations oh yeah dude oh remember doug <laughs> cousins <laughs> we knew this guy named doug who used to date my college roommate and he would do the most insane shit we're pretty sure he was schizophrenic but he would like you know they would like get in these huge fights and she'd be like get out of my car and then he'd like start walking the two miles back right. to like where he lived on the college campus and, and then it, like walk back the same night to like say something right or, like it was like for like do you not have a phone <laughs> right. although he made you know guys who make big romantic gestures often don't have a phone <laughs> or they have like one of those pay by the minute phones yeah particularly um, back then yeah but also like what kind of how do you have this kind of time yeah you know to be walking so many miles yeah uh anyway that's why seniors shouldn't date freshmen <laughs> <laughs> yeah great attitude mr grove uh well that makes you fake doris then so count your blessings mm. no real doris ah <laughs> there's too many dori <laughs> agnes walks out the front of martle house and is met by fat thomas and then they discuss whether or not mr selfridge will be upset that they're handing in their notices so suddenly Agnes says that George will be back at the front at no time. And then uh, Fat Thomas assures Agnes that she will have Fat Thomas to share her worries. This does not seem to comfort Agnes, who announces nervously that George will come into the store that day. He feels ready, finally. Yeah. Agnes Tatler is really the queen of the non-responsive answer. Yeah. Like, this happens all the time. I mean, in this episode, but always with her, that somebody will say something to her that she doesn't know what to think. And she'll be like, oh, George is coming into the store. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. I think you mean if George is coming into the store, he, feels, he thinks he's ready. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, at Selfridge House, Harry and New Gordon walk up to Leclerc, who has just finished reading a letter announcing that all the charges have been dropped. This is the first in a series of moments in this episode where i feel like the scene should end it should basically be that shot at the end of the rugby match uh in downton abbey the cricket match yeah 
rugby i'm thinking about a circle of friends again as is my want <laughs> um no but when you know uh lord grantham and matthew and branson yes. were all like ha, 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 upper class uh that is how it feels like you know there should be like a like 1980s jake and the fat man style like jazzy play out freeze frame where they're all clapping each other on the back right because uh, it's like, oh, well, remember that thing that was happening? Well, now that's done. Yeah. No comeuppance. <laughs> <laughs> they would say. Uh, however, the problems are not all solved, as New Gordon immediately points out, telling Harry that the Selfridge name will be cleared too way, soon enough. Way to keep things in perspective. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Mr. Selfridge doesn't appear to be actually being tried for treason. Well. So, I don't know. Like, you know, Mr. Leclerc was, yeah. like, being accused of like, treason. Like, doesn't everybody shop there now that that movie star came? Like, what's the problem? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Let's go shopping! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, Henri says that he will now go and fight for France as promised. It is the right thing to do, he says. Um, Harry's fine with it. Yeah. He's like, great. Go this do is, that. Yeah. We're Go all, throw your life away. We're all fighting for various people for some reason, so join in. The Plunkett <laughs> is typing at her desk, and then Plunkett's up! Comes and picks up Harry's schedule, and she tells the Plunkett that she didn't know Harry was seeing Mustache that night. The Plunkett, and we need a gif of this, Cousin Carly, if you're listening, <laughs> of the Plunkett saying, Really? <laughs> and she just goes back to t- it's the ultimate bitch move yeah and like the way that she's typing she's steamed the plunket is it's steamed plunket for lunch everybody she's like i need to go back to typing this letter about how much i hate you <laughs> <laughs> blankensop says that she needs evenings free for harry's social engagements and he doesn't have any free for the next month and the plunket says that if she gets to mr selfridge's diary first that's blankensop's lookout and I always like it when the British tell somebody, instead of saying, that's your problem, that's your lookout. Yeah. Like, yeah, way to not look out, stupid. Yeah. I enjoy that very much. Yeah. Really? <laughs> At Selfridges, Marl is unpackaging some gloves that are perhaps packaged with some sort of sharp object inside. Maybe they're gloves with razors on the, <laughs> on the fingers. It's the Jack the Ripper special. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, five points or something. <laughs> no, that was uh, the other one. That was the, uh, the Gangs get, of New York Yeah, I was like the Daniel Day DiCaprio movie. You know what I mean. <laughs> right. Anyway. Yes. Wasn't there like a five, though, in From Hell? Probably. The number five. <laughs> Maybe it was just five prostitutes. A the, razor for each hooker. Well, I know there was a, there was a, like a pentagram. Yeah. That Maybe that's points. what I'm thinking With of. The pentagram glove. Yeah. By Beatrice. Let's put a, <laughs> <laughs> let's put a pin in this. All right. I'm smelling a, uh, a tie in merchandising opportunity here. <laughs> anyway, Martle hurts her hand. Uh, fake Doris, naturally enough, asks if she's all right, and Martle yells at her to mind her own business. Uh, it was startling. It was startling. Even to those of us watching at home. Yeah. And fake Doris as well. And then Martle pulls herself back together and says, that was way out of line on my part. I'm sorry. Shouldn't have reacted like that. And fake Doris is like, well, I suppose everyone has a bad day. And Martle says, is that what I'm having? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're having menopause. 
menopause. <laughs> like fake Doris is a you know just a simple Welsh girl. Right. She's trying to be nice to you. <laughs> so fake Doris is like, okay, I'll walk off. But then she comes back because she has some Welsh wisdom to impart. Uh, her mother wouldn't want fake Doris to ask what the problem was because a problem shared is a problem doubled. However, her mother would say that when you're feeling, uh, when you're not sure what to do, just do something. Even if it's the wrong thing, at least you'll have done something. Which is, you know, not the worst advice in the world, I suppose. Yeah, it's medium advice. It's Welsh advice. Yeah. Martle thanks her, but does not seem to have, like, be calmed. At Selfridge House, Rose is heading out in her... She's just wearing yeah, that this is, all the time. Yeah, she's completely stopped. She hasn't worn another outfit in the last I know. three episodes. It's super annoying. Yeah. Anyway, Ma comes in, hunchback of Notre Ma, <laughs> comes on out and asks if she can tag along. Like, I can't even tell if that actress is British playing American or if she's just like that American. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, Rose says that it would be very boring, but she'd love to walk with her later. And basically, Rose is doing the thing where she's like, oh, I clearly have cancer. Right. Bye. Yeah. And Ma's like, you know, I came all the way here from America. I thought there was going to be at least a tiny plot line for me. <gasps> nope. Nope. Nothing. You are incorrect. She never had a plot line. I guess she never She's did. never had a single plot line. Her entire function well, I mean, has been to, like, buck Harry up. Well, yeah, but at least she she doesn't even buck Harry up this oh, time. Oh, and she also told him not to bang Ellen Love. Right. When it was already too late. Yeah. So that's, that's why he didn't bring her over on the scouting trip. <laughs> In Harry's office, the Plunkett announces Agnes and Fat Thomas and uh, also has a dialogue a line of dialogue looped in to say that Mustache has confirmed their meeting for that evening. Like, we get it. He's I, meeting Mustache. And spoiler alert, we never see that meeting. No, we actually they tell do. It. Oh, wait, do we? Yeah, it's way later, and it's at Harry's house. Oh. Uh, yeah, but it's like, you know what? We'll know that Harry has a meeting with Mustache when we see the scene of them meeting. Well, I mean, the first scene, you know, the first scene was a dispute about scheduling, and I'm well, fine with that. All right. Looping in this dialogue does seem unnecessary. Well, that's what I'm saying. Anyway. Uh, Agnes tells Harry that they want to get married while George is there to give her away, and so they're handing in their notice. And Harry is surprised that they're leaving, which was odd. Like, did he not understand that that was their plan when they got engaged? Uh, he may not have known about the family restaurant. That all seems like news to him. It does seem that way. I just... I mean, he, he I think, would have assumed... Well, look... Say the things that happen in this scene. Well, okay. And then we can dissect them. Sure. As so, is our custom. Yeah, a Fat Thomas says that they were going to tell Grove next, but Agnes felt that they should tell Harry first. Um, that is very sudden, but war has a way of quickening one's step. Fart noise! <laughs> so he crosses over behind the desk to shake Harry's hand, and Harry tells him that he'll be sorely missed. You know, not not at the Palm Court, obviously. Yeah, just- fun fact, the Palm Court's actually been closed for six months. They just did not know how to tell Fat Thomas and Igor. <laughs> Well, that's a shame because Igor's going to be in charge of it now. <laughs> <laughs> just gray gardens. I know. And with Igor like, in the palm court. I just imagine the scene is like 30 years later and there's the first new hire at the palm court ever since. And Igor's like, oh, we had a customer once. <laughs> <laughs> I shot him. <laughs> there was a war on. <laughs> Which war? I don't remember. (laughs) 
Then I refilled his water. <laughs> the palm court has standards, you know. laugh for the dumbest character. <laughs> <laughs> He's not even in the scene. No, I know. <laughs> anybody. Anyway, anybody out there who's looking for a short film project, you're welcome. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. Um, so, back in this actual scene, Harry asks Agnes if she'll hang back for a minute, so Fat Thomas heads out. Uh, and he tells Agnes that he knows that in this country, married women don't work, but he would like to make an exception for her. She'd be very welcome there. But Agnes says that she is not just joining, that she's not just joining Fat Thomas's family, but his That's family right. business. Women in this country don't work unless it's unpaid slave labor. <laughs> right. And, uh, and Harry says he likes the sound of a family business. She says it's nothing like Selfridges, which is actually even more of an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> She needs to put her whole heart into it for Fat Thomas's sake. Uh, so yeah, unpaid slave labor. And Harry says that he won't pretend it's not a sad day, what with Monsieur Leclerc leaving. And Agnes is like, what? what, what, what? Yeah. Uh, she is the worst poker face, the side of the Thames, yeah. y'all. <laughs> that is absolutely the case. And Harry's like, uh, yeah, he's leaving. Yeah. Speak of the devil, not Beatrice. Uh, Monsieur Leclerc walks up to Fat Thomas in the palm court, which again, there's nobody in there. Yeah. No people yeah. at all. Waiters, but no diners. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he apologizes for confronting him about the way Agnes was dealing with uh, George's, you know, missingness. Oh, right. And Fat Thomas accepts his apology. Monsieur Leclerc explains about his dumb army plans <laughs> and then he wishes Fat Thomas and Agnes happiness and success. Fat Thomas attempts to be the bigger man by saying that he hopes that Monsieur Leclerc returns safe and well, but Monsieur Leclerc says with a smirk that he won't be coming back to Selfridges. Uh, and which causes Fat Thomas to get, like, puffed up and smug. Right. Like, but it's also like Fat Thomas... Should be like, uh, I'm not coming back to Selfridges either. Yeah, and neither is Agnes. Like, we're all leaving. I've got this restaurant. Yeah. It's in this alley down in a basement. (laughs) (laughs) It's dank. Real dank. (laughs) People are going to love it. Rose sits in the doctor's office, and the doctor comes in and sits down. He says that he has consulted with a colleague who has sadly confirmed his diagnosis. Rose asks what he means, and he says that it's not good news. And that's the end of the scene. Right. So here's what we know. Rose is sick with something. Yes. It's with her lungs. Yes. That doctor has determined some sort of diagnosis, which he has not told Rose. Right. And he has had a second person (laughs) confirm this diagnosis, which, again, he has not said to Rose. Not... So, we're no doctors, but right. we're going to go ahead and assume she's got deadly lungitis. Yeah. That's our uh, diagnosis. That's what we think. Lungitis. Lungitis. We're sticking to it. Right. George enters the front door at Selfridges and looks around. Uh, Kitty Hawkins sees him and runs over, followed by basically everyone. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, was he this popular? Anyway. Right. It's the whole man in uniform thing. He's, you know, he's got his arm in a sling still. Sure, that's all sure. happening. Mr. Crabbe and Mr. Grove come up and uncharacteristically don't tell everyone to get the hell back to work. 
but Mr. Crab shakes his hand and Mr. Grove also shakes his hand. Right. And then New Gordon says that they were so worried when he was missing. Uh, and then George is like, oh, I'm like a bad penny. Remember when I didn't have the intellectual acumen to even make a cliche <laughs> joke like that? Uh, no one does. And everybody then starts asking him a bunch of questions at once. Then New Gordon interrupts to say that Mr. Selfridge would love to see him and guides him away. Then... Mr. Grove tells everybody to get back to work. Uh, and further proving that war is the thing you do or you don't have to do anything to gain everyone's respect. Right. That's always been, that's basically the army's motto. It's like, you'll either get killed or you'll get laid. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a song. No. Somebody get Matt Stone and Trey Parker on this. <laughs> they probably already did. Yeah. Also, it was another nice uh, example of New Gordon's, like, competence. Yeah. You know, because he saw that, like, he was get you know having like a flashback with all these people like shouting at him in every yeah. direction, and he very like that was a very elegant way yeah. of extricating him. No, and like what's up with Kitty Hawkins, yo? What is up with her? Why does she? She always acts like she gives a shit about George, but she does not even care. She doesn't. But I mean, I think she. I think she has like a maternal feeling towards him. Okay, I think. But you know what do I know? Is it because even a cat can look at a king? <laughs> right, even a kitty. <laughs> George and Agnes sit with Harry in his office. He says that he he confirms to George that they have lost men throughout the store, and uh, he's glad he's written letters to all the families, so he's glad to not have to write that one. George says that it is hell out there. I don't feel like this actor sells this monologue. I can't argue with that. I just, I see what they were trying to do, but it's just too, like, eloquent. Yeah, like, 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 George is not a man of this many words. He'd be like, oh, you know, I'll lock it when Aggie sends me some jam because (laughs) I smell it and it reminds me of home. Like, that's. Yeah, but it was, it was just overwritten for the character. But that's, that's, that just summed it up right Mm -hmm. there. Um,. He asks Agnes if she remembers them making jam with their mom. And that made sense. It did. Like. Yeah. And, and Agnes says that that was her life of crime, stealing from orchards. And Harry says, well, I hope you didn't get caught like I did. Ha <laughs> Nailing it. Yeah. And then he looks kind of sad for a second. Like, I don't know how he was punished for stealing from orchards, but it seems like. Well, it his left dad him- was kind of a jackass. Yeah. If you recall. So oh, that's true. Oh, I forgot all about his dad. Yeah. Remember Civil War veteran? <laughs> yeah. All around bad dude. Yeah. No, I had forgotten. Uh, made Reg Towler look like a decent father, perhaps? <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, George talks more about the bedlam of war. Cut to Harry and Agnes, still in his office, and Harry wants to reflect the comforts of home throughout the store. He's been inspired by George's out-of-character monologue. Uh, <laughs> Agnes says she'll get started on a window right away. He says, it's your swan song. And she agrees and says it's been the best five years of her life. Mm-hmm. And Harry says to make sure that the rest of her life is equally happy. And then she seems very unoptimistic. Yeah. She, again, says nothing. Right. Just kind of looks blankly at the floor. Yeah. The, the correct response there is, oh, I'm sure it will be. Yeah. And Which, she, look, she's, un- she, well, yeah. she's honest. She yeah. won't lie. Yeah. Yeah. Even as she's lying to herself. <laughs> yeah. She can't bring herself to lie to another person. Yeah. Anyway, Harry tells her that she means a great deal to him and she says she'll miss him. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. 
Yeah. Also, her dress is like really pretty. <laughs> it's true. It is. She's come up in the world. At Selfridge House, Rose is sitting on their fountain that's in like the front hall and just like holding her hand in the stream. And Fraser comes along and is like, uh, are you all right? Why are you sitting by the lungitis fountain? <laughs> it's only for people with lungitis. <laughs> Surely I, you don't have it. I would have heard. I'm sorry, Fraser. We can't discuss this right now. <laughs> uh, but she does say that they need to discuss the upcoming Thanksgiving dinner. I bet they do. Then we get a montage. And it's Harry discussing the new theme of the comforts of home with all the different departments and each of them having their ideas and like... New Gordon's got some tea-based idea, and Keebler's going to pull out the Macintoshes right away. Filled with fudge, Mr. Selfridge, <laughs> to the brim! <laughs> he tells Martle to have one glove in each set turned inside out for some reason. Kitty has some ideas involving sense. It's, you know... Talcum whole- powder. Oh, right. Hers was the most practical, actually. Yeah, that's true. Hers was the one where I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because, yeah. you know, New Gordon was like, oh, you know, English breakfast tea. And I'm like, boring. He's like, listen... All I have to work with is tea. <laughs> I've got so few options. No, and Keebler was saying like a warm raincoat, which is a Mac. Right, right. Uh, you know, that's more like the comforts of leaving home. Right. That's for like outside. Yeah. Get with it, Keebler. Yeah. No, but Kitty's... You need like, you need like a slanket. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Keebler in a slanket with his bow tie? Uh, anyway, uh, I'm, you know, and Miss Martle's like, most women would make many personal sacrifices for a good pair of gloves. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like a special thing for you. Like, don't you just always sell fucking gloves? Uh, right. That's your whole jam. Well, yeah. Gloves well, are what got us all into this mess. <laughs> that's true. No, I mean, I assume accessories sells things besides gloves, but that's all you ever see. Anyway, Kitty, you're innovative because you said talcum powder is good for putting on a pair of gloves or putting stockings into shoes you get a promotion yeah back at selfridge house rose fraser the hunchback of notre ma and may (laughs) are all in the parlor rose is micromanaging fraser and telling him to tell the cook to make pecan pies because the girls brought pecans from america but then she decides that she'll just do it herself may is a bit taken aback that she makes her own pies and the hunchback of Notre Dame says that they're the best in America. And I'm like, how many pecan pies have you had? Yeah. And the other thing I like about that is that, like, everybody just completely ignores her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rose calls Fraser back to add pumpkin to the list since they don't have sweet potatoes in England. And then decides that they'll also have cornbread. And this will be the best Thanksgiving dinner ever. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> In Joe's restaurant slash cave. <laughs> I'm so glad we had the opportunity to break out Joe again. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Agnes discusses the wedding plans with Fat Thomas, Igor, and George, who is mainly just kind of gazing into the fire. Yeah, he might have PTSD. Yeah, it seems quite plausible. Uh, Fat Thomas attempts to distract him by telling them that there will be a suckling pig on a spit outside, which should definitely clear his mind from the horrors of war. <laughs> Uh, Agnes continues going Oh, yeah, on. we used to put the hunt on a spit. <laughs> Don't you mean Jerry or Fritz? Damn it! <laughs> um, Agnes continues on with all of her many ideas for the wedding. 
and asked Fat Thomas for his opinion about one of them, but he was not paying attention. He was gazing at, uh, gazing at George, gazing at the fire. Then Agnes asks Igor to go upstairs with her to see what can be done about sprucing things up up there. He asks why he has to go, and she tells him that he is the one that's going to be doing the painting. <laughs> you never do anything at the palm court. <laughs> yeah, and I never do anything here either. <laughs> um, I have no idea what his voice sounds like. Right? I have. I, I, like, I think about him, and all I see is Jonah from Veep. <laughs> So they head up, and Fat Thomas sits down next to George. It says a penny for him, and George says, "Well, I've just got a lot of a lot on my mind." Fat Thomas asks if he's thinking about going back to the front, and George gets up and is like, "Just a lot of things." So, yeah, George hasn't seemed impressed with Joe's restaurant. I'll say that much. <laughs> yeah. Back at Selfridge House, Mustache is talking with Harry and May, saying the procurement committee is backing Loxley to a man, and they need proof. That Harry did not recommend the shoddy manufacturers. Harry yep. says that he gave Loxley the only copy of the list. He normally makes copies, but since May vouched for him, he didn't. I'm like, what if he needed another copy? Anyway. Right, right. Listen, dum dum. <laughs> yeah. I blame you for this at least 15%. <laughs> anyway, he says the list will be long gone by now. But May thinks that Loxley is arrogant enough that he still has it. And if so, she will find it. Harry tells May to be very careful and not to put herself at risk. But she says she'll have Inspector Pimble scouted out for her. <laughs> which, like, Pimble's not, like, infallible. Right. Like, you know, she can see when he is leaving. Right. But, like, he could come back at any time. It's his house. <laughs> it is. He's allowed in whenever. And also, does this house not have some sort of system to prevent unauthorized access? Hmm. I don't... You know, they never seem like they had that many people around. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen a servant other than Pimble. Yeah. yeah. Well, they had that... They had a butler. Oh, right. Yeah. Who was mad about the payment and stuff. Yeah. Well, anyway... Good luck. Florian is sitting in his room writing, and Martel knocks and enters, says that she has arranged an interview for him with an orchestra in Manchester. Florian, not at all grateful, says that there are more useful things for him to be doing in wartime. And she's like, oh, well, I... And he says, I know this is your house, and maybe this seems wrong of me or or something like that, but will you please leave my room? And Boom! uh, Yeah. Throwing it down with a Belgian boom. Yeah. And uh, so Martel does and then, like, leans against the wall. And is sad. Yeah. In the lair, Henri is packing up his things. Agnes comes in, and Leclerc wasn't expecting her. She says she's working on the window and tells him about it. Uh, she says that all of the jam jars look like melted jewels, and he laughs at her for seeing jewels and jam. He says, ordinary people, think of the taste. She says she is ordinary, and there's a pause. Yeah. A pregnant pause. <laughs> yeah. Leclerc says that they're both leaving, and Agnes says it's funny to think of other people taking over the lair. Uh, like, won't they just abandon it like they did when they left after season one? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, well, if you guys are going to work here, nobody is. Right. Uh, it's the new Palm Court. <laughs> the Palm Court management strategy. <laughs> ah, just let it go to seed. Agnes reflects on all the hours they've spent there. Good times. I don't know why he he's... <laughs> My Leclerc is not good. It is not. It's not quite on today. It's it's very vampiric. Yeah, it was something. kind of fading into uh, Susan Sarandon and Cradle Will Rock on that line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, we'll let that go. Wild Agnes. Times. 
Agnes proposes one last walk in the park, which apparently is a thing that they used to do. Right. She's like, you know, we would always take walks in this park. Like, did you? They didn't. They didn't. This is the first any of us have heard of it, and frankly, I'm appalled. Yeah, it's pretty weak. So anyway, in the famous park, <laughs> uh, Agnes and Claire stroll down an avenue, reminiscing about how they used to walk there, for, how it was their place. They would walk for hours late at night, uh, like when they were working on some design that was causing them to work late. Agnes then remembers when she was a girl. Her mother was dying and her father was drinking and she would wake up in the middle of the night and it would be quiet. And, you know, the whole big city and it was just her. And LeClaire bet that she would hug her knees and dream about what life would bring her. And she says that it was all make-believe until Harry came along. They tell each other that Harry's going to miss them. And then Agnes asks LeClaire if he'll miss her. And he says, of course, and she should spare him a thought when she has a restaurant and maybe a little Agnes and little Victor hanging on your apron strings. Ew. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. You know what? If you're trying to get back into that pussy, <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Well, Agnes- That's just a tip from me to you, listeners. <laughs> right. Agnes finds that hard to imagine. You know, again, mistake. Um, LeClaire says that he wishes- that all of her dreams come true. Agnes, again, has no response to that. So she just says that people are going to be waking up in a few hours, which is, like, fine. That's the non-answeriest of her non-answers. Right. LeClaire says that he will never forget her. She says the same and then walks off. Cross fade to the fire in the cave <laughs> And Fat Thomas is sitting there pensively drinking his wine. Cut to him knocking on the door of Martle House in completely non-stalkery behavior. <laughs> right. Uh, George answers, and Fat Thomas asks if Agnes is there. She's not. And George asks him in for a cup of tea. Uh, George says that he doesn't sleep well, so he sits up until he just drops off. And then Fat Thomas says that he's worried about Agnes, and they sit down. And, and Fat Thomas asks if Agnes will be happy at the restaurant. And George says that that's what Agnes says, which is not quite an Agnes-level non-answer, but it's a pretty effective feint. Right. Fat Thomas says he doesn't sound sure, and George asks why he's asking him. And I have to say, this is pretty deft on George's part, because it's very yeah. clear, and it was clear back in the cave that he was like, this is not yeah. for her. This is, like, bad. Right. Well, even just back... From that first scene when he's sitting at breakfast and she was saying she had to think about her yeah. future. And he was like, I thought you had your future all figured out. Yeah. Uh, I wish we could have seen George and her have a conversation about that. Yeah. But. Yeah. Whatever. Eyeliner did not decree it so. <laughs> God uh, forbid we miss, we miss a fight over Mr. Selfridge's, like, schedule. <laughs> oh, come on. We get precious little blank inside. I know. And I won't have you taking it away from me <laughs> retroactively. <laughs> Anyway, Fat Thomas saw George brooding at the restaurant and I guess correctly ascertained that that was what was going on. And uh, they both know that Agnes is special, but George says that she's just ordinary Agnes to him. And then George says that he's sure that Agnes loves him. And Fat Thomas says, of course, why not? And I'm like, have you seen yourself? I mean, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And then George says, not to worry, Agnes will never let him down, uh, which does not quite uh, quiet Fat Thomas's doubts. Right. Like, maybe George is playing a deeper game than any of us realize, because if he was trying to achieve the events that occur later in this episode, he nailed it. 
Oh, he absolutely did. Yeah. Piven style nailed it. <laughs> at Selfridges, Martel is at her counter when she is stunned to see Florian. He says that a letter arrived from that orchestra, which, I mean, she'd already sent in the, inv- like. Yeah, anyway, anyway look. Martel asks if he will consider the orchestra as behind them fake doris walks up with a box and then stops and beats a hasty retreat she's good she is she's very good yeah more fake doris in series three please very much agreed uh florian says that she is anxious to get rid of him martel says that she just wants what's best for him at this point grove wanders by and asks if everything is all right and Martel says, perfectly all right, that it is just, uh, she's just resolving some household issues with Mr. DuPont. Ouch. Yeah. So Grove retreats, uh, though only a few steps. And Florian asks if that's what he is, a household issue to her. Which, okay, listen up, Florian. Yeah. You came to her place of employment. Right. You need to calm the F down yeah. if she's not, like, treating you with her customary sweetness. Right. Agreed. Like, you're embarrassing her in her workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Martel, uh, very emotionally says that no, that is not what he is to her at all. Florian says that she is making them both lonely again. Is that's, is that what's best for them? And then he walks off. Uh, so Grove, who was kind of listening in, uh, then comes up and asks Martel to come see him when she has a moment. Martel asks if she's done something wrong. Grove's like, no, I was just thinking that I might be able to pick you up on the rebound. <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, he says no. She has not done anything wrong, but he thinks that he has. In Grove's office, Miss Martle comes in, and Mr. Grove asks if they can speak as true friends. Martle lays the smack down and says that a true friend wouldn't have spoken to her like he did. Yeah. Grove begs her forgiveness and wishes her happiness. Martle says that he's given her some food for thought. Florian is young and has a promising music career ahead of him. Uh, pro tip, there is no such thing as a promising music career. <laughs> yeah, haven't you seen Oz? <laughs> Mr. Grove says that he, Florian, loves her as he detected with his magical male gaze. Right. Ms. This is the second time where it's like, only I can see how he feels about you. Yeah, it's really annoying. Yeah. Miss Martle says that if she cares for Florian, she must let him go because he may want children, which she says super pointedly. Yes. And awesomely. Yes. Uh, and she says that he may love her now, but what about in five years? What about in 10 years? Mm-hmm. Grove says that life is full of what ifs, noting that parents are saying, what if they never see their son again? Which is not very relevant to the question. Like, I know right. you just had a son, but you don't have to say goodbye to him till the next war. Right. So you can just slow your ginger roll. Yeah. Like, I know we... Is there a war on? We hadn't heard. Yeah. Anyway. Boy, I wonder how things will be after the war. (laughs) Do you think people will wonder how things could ever get back to the way they were before the war? And comment on the differences betwixt the twain? I doubt it. That seems seems highly implausible. It would just be foolish. Yeah. Anyway, he tells Miss Martle that he's got, that she's got the right man and not to throw Florian away. Miss Martle leaves and then Mr. Grove does this weird creepy choking sob that looks like he just had an orgasm. (laughs) So good riddance to Mr. Grove. Yeah. I'll tell you what though, because I don't think we get much more of Grove in this season. Weird, horrible person, but kind of an interesting character. Oh, I agree. And just interesting. And I'm sure I've said this before, just that he could do this horrible thing and then still be a main character. Yeah. And like, 
accepted by everybody, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just... Well, almost nobody knows about the horrible thing that he did. Well, true. But, I mean, even so, like, but that the audience still... You know, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, they were able to generate some sympathy for him earlier in the season. Right, yeah. So, when he had his getting it done montage. <laughs> That's right. So, well-played eyeliner. Uh, we see May tiptoeing through Loxley House uh, and walking into his office and beginning to go through his desk drawers. In the upper hall at Selfridges, the cry rings out, Miss Blankensop! Which is not quite the same, sadly. I know, but the Plunkett storms up to Blankensop, who's scurrying away with uh, an arm full of trapper keepers. And uh, she asks, where is Mr. Selfridge's diary? Miss Blankensop poorly claims innocence. Right. Uh, but the Plunkett wasn't born yesterday, so <laughs> she knows that the jig is up. Blankensop says that the Plunkett is making her job impossible. And Mr. Crabb steps in to break up the argument. The Plunkett explains that uh, Miss Blankensop has taken her diary. And Miss Blankensop sheepishly produces it and tries to give it back. Crab observes that this is not the wild savannah and they are not slavering hyenas and tells them they have to cooperate and do their jobs. Harry catches the tail end of this and helpfully suggests that Blankensop should work from his home since she's handling the family's social engagements. And the Plunkett says they can meet every Monday to apportion Mr. Selfridge's time uh, very haughtily and Blankensop gives in. What yeah. other choice does she have? And honestly, wouldn't it be better to work there? It's a nice place. They got place. that lungitis fountain. It's <laughs> right. great. Yeah. So again, in a recurring theme in this episode, like, great that they brought her back, but that, that was it. That's, that's it. Yeah. I'm going to assume that the actress had some kind of scheduling conflict. I mean, I guess so. And they really liked her. I mean, yeah, clearly they really liked her and I appreciate that. I just, well, anyway, they did what they did. In Loxley's office, May is still going through his papers when the fake door opens slowly behind her. Dun, dun. <laughs> it's the lizard of Loxley. <laughs> uh, so he comes up behind her and uh, accuses her of looking for money. Uh, calls her grubby or something like that. May, however, smiles, realizing that it's much better that that's what he thinks, mm-hmm. uh, and tells him that he is contemptible. He says, oh, my money isn't contemptible. And she says that he is a weak, wretched, little man. So he's definitely got a small penis. <laughs> yeah. Also, he's short. Which is, you know, its own problem. It was weird because they were actually shooting this scene like they were shooting down at her and up at him as if he was taller than her. But I'm... I think that they were just trying to make him look more intimidating. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. But just in the same scene where she calls him little, it struck me. Anyway, he drops the money on the floor and says that she should get on her knees if she wants it. And she says that he is not noble. He is a coward for letting Harry take the blame and for doing all this war profiteering in the first place. He tells her to get out. And she says to keep an eye on the newspapers and to rotten hell. Well, those are pretty easy instructions to follow. I think he'll probably execute that very well. Well, I, don't, I mean, does hell get newspapers? I guess not. They'd catch on fire. Yeah. Probably just the New York Post. <laughs> <laughs> the official news service of hell. <laughs> uh, I think in Britain it would be the Daily Mail. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, see, I didn't know which one to say in Britain. So. Yeah, the Daily Mail. All right. In Harry's office, aka a mirror in the office, because God forbid we <laughs> have a mirror in a room and not shoot the whole scene in it. Yeah. May 
it's a weird scene and I don't like it, but yeah. like May is being like very noble and apologizing for vouching for Loxley because she's all like, here's the list. The procurement committee is meeting today. Go and clear your name. And it's well, like, what are you doing? Knighting him, you watery tart? Well, I think, I mean, I think this is an eyeliner thing and it's, I think they try to give things more weight. They, they try to artificially add weight to some of these plot lines. Like this is, you know, a sort of like dramatic, this long slog towards Harry's redemption and here's, you know, the key moment where he gets this piece this of evidence. This would have been a lot better if New Gordon had been playing with a toy car <laughs> and it tumbled. I just... Well, that's every scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Harry gets out of a car, takes a deep breath, heads up some steps... And heads into the meeting room of the procurement committee of the House of Lords, whose entire security force appears to consist of one old guy with this weird, like, chain on his vest. <laughs> who's like, oh, you can't go in there. And Harry's like, watch me. And the guy's like, well, there's nothing else I can do. No, he do. was like, oh, okay. I yeah. will watch you. <laughs> right. Right, you are, sir. This job is great. <laughs> When's lunch? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, there was an Irish revolutionary looking for this room. Shall I send him this way? <laughs> anyway. First, Harry dramatically marches up to the head of the table, which is conveniently vacant, uh, announces that he is there to clear his name. Loxley tells him to get out, that this is the House of Lords, and no place for a shopkeeper, which leads to general chuckling in the room. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one. Harry says that Loxley is a traitor to his country, and that Edgerton is no better for not having, you know, turned him in. Not to mention the buggery. (laughs) Well... That's not about treason. That's just, well, that's just about treason to God. (laughs) (laughs) Might as well face it, you're a traitor to God. (laughs) And they say that for the sake of the troops, they should check every order that has gone through Loxley's hands. He's been taking kickbacks. Loxley says that it's a lie and that Selfridge has no shame. Harry then lists all the ways in which he's been shamed. I don't care. Uh, Yeah, because he's like, and worst of all. In front of my family. I mean, like, you know, most of them were in America. Yeah. At the time. And also, they'll, like, they'll believe you. Yeah. Like, it's more about the customers for your store. That was the real problem. Yeah, and also, like, the country. Yeah, Like, at the large. government. Yeah. Anyway. Loxley says that he, cho- that he chose the suppliers on Harry's word, and he thinks that Harry was the one taking kickbacks. Oh, ho! But then Harry pulls out the list and says that it clearly states not to use King's boot manufacturers or whatever and asks Loxley who he used there's a pause and then Edgerton says Kings and everybody goes hop 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 but it's like didn't they already know that like isn't your first step into investigating the shoddy boots finding out who made the boots I think maybe they didn't do any investigating at all I think most of them don't do anything oh, I mean yeah. it's the house of lords exactly yeah the whole point of the house well, of the lords the guy at the head of the table keeps being like is this gonna delay my nap <laughs> like <laughs> I didn't even want to show up today <laughs> Not even supposed to be here today. He only showed up because the other old guy didn't show up. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, Harry says that May is willing to authenticate the list and to testify to the large cash deposits he began making as soon as he joined the committee. Uh, So he says that he is a Yank and a shopkeeper, but he's a man of honor, unlike some occupants of the room, and then he heads out. And Loxley sits down amid a general harumphing. Yeah, man. He's come a long way since Big Bill's summertime's inept spy squad. I'll tell you that. <laughs> also, maybe you don't want to leave that list with these people. Yeah. Like, because they could just eat it. Right. Like, like they can just be <laughs> like, they could set it on fire. 
Because I mean, like Loxley could like it. That scene could have ended with the door closing and Loxley just being like, "So we're all gonna pretend that didn't happen, right?" Yeah, and then just like. Pfft. No, like, I mean, weren't they all backing him previously? Right. Like, these are his cronies, you dum-dum. Don't leave. Like, you already only had one copy of this list. Right. Not to mention that's, like, the only proof that you didn't just write that in the hall outside is the word of the woman trying to divorce Lord Loxley. Unless you showed it to Mustache beforehand. Well. But we don't see that. That's true. Anyway, I don't know. Listen, could have been handled better. Very much in a bizarrely abrupt edit, <laughs> right? Like usually they're not this bad. Like we know that this is shown with commercials, right? In Britain, but this is really like, Meh! yeah. Well, it cuts off like in the middle of like a, a bar in the score, yeah. And then it's a completely different score, yeah. But at any yeah, rate, uh, we see Fat Thomas staring at Agnes's window, the comforts of home, which includes creepy mannequins. Uh, but that's not Agnes's fault. It's the only technology she had available at the time, <laughs> right? LeClaire comes up beside him and Fat Thomas says it's perfect. LeClaire says it's honest and true, just like Agnes. Fat Thomas asks if he's in love with her. Monsieur LeClaire says yes. And then he shakes Fat Thomas's hand, saying once again that he's leaving first thing in the morning. If I uh, survive the war, I will steal Agnes from you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It is a nice window, though. And again, you know, as we were saying the other week... Not enough windows in this season. Yeah. But this was a good More one. windows. That's right. Dear eyeliner, when you're making your <laughs> lists of things, instead of writing more eyeliner, write more windows. I'm afraid I can't do that. <laughs> I like how he's kind of like Hannibal Lecter <laughs> that way. Yeah. I ate Julian Fellow's liver <laughs> with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> and eyeliner always eyeliner you know come to that and we haven't watched the show but i feel like this new hannibal has a fair amount of eyeliner going uh yeah mads mickelson just looks like that yeah i don't know (laughs) he's just hot great and yet i don't again i'm like okay i get it like he eats people right like i don't need to watch that every week yeah okay if i wanted to eat people i would do it myself (laughs) cousins (laughs) have you ever wanted to eat someone (laughs) Have you ever actually eaten someone? If so, don't. Now, you know what? Probably contact some sort of psychiatric person. Yeah, and it's not like we could we could promise confidentiality or anything. Like they could subpoena our email. Yeah, we have. We're, it's not like we're you know your doctor or anything. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, yeah, just uh, keep watching Hannibal for tips. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure you should say that either. <laughs> I wish we could go back and get rid of all of this. I'm not the one that put that show on the air. <laughs> Take that, NBC. <laughs> That's right. About time something went wrong for NBC. <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> in the lair, Agnes is going through some fabric samples when Fat Thomas comes in. She asks what he wants. He says that he will always love her. And she's like, yeah, right. That was the plan. Uh, but then he says that he can't marry her. <gasps> he says he can't take her away from this life. That someday she would come to resent him. And that her heart would still be there. Uh, and that if she married him, she wouldn't be the... He's he, How did he say It's like, I can't have you because the you I fell in love with, you know, that wouldn't be you if we got married. Yes. And, you know, her life would change too much. Agnes says that she understood that her life would change. And he says he thanks her for it, but that she would never have all of her heart. And they both know who does. 
All right. So listen, this scene's been great up until now. Right. We are like super on board with this ship breaking up. But like, I don't get the feeling that she gives that much of a shit about Monsieur Leclerc. Right. Not anymore. No, I think she likes him and like cares about him or whatever. Yeah. But like, she likes her job. Right. That's what, I mean, and that's, up to this point, that's been, it's been clear that that's what Fat Thomas was worried, and George and everyone was worried. And everybody was like, how can you take Agnes away from this job? No, and look, he finds out in the last scene that Henri is in love with her, but that's not the same thing as her being in love with him. Yeah. Yeah, and I... And like, don't get us wrong, we are shipping Agnes and Henri, but like, not like this. Right. Well, and... You know, there's a few more scenes we'll keep yeah. expressing our t- distaste. So anyway, he says that she is the loveliest girl he has ever known, and now he has to let her go, and he says to go to Henri and tell him that she loves him and to be happy, and then he kisses her on the forehead. Creepily. Yes. And, well, there's not many options for embrace after breaking an engagement. That's true. Uh, so he, yeah, he kisses her on the forehead, heads out, and we see him walking down the upstairs hall to the elevator. So wait a minute. Has the lair been upstairs this whole Apparently, time? Apparently. We thought it was an underground type lair. Yeah, it definitely- It's a lot less mysterious now. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. No stars. Mustache excitedly enters Selfridges with an armful of newspapers and pushes past Kitty, who's saying, Mr. Selfridge and his family are on the shop floor. <laughs> and he's glad because he gives one to Harry and the rest of the family and also Lady May because the headline is Lord Loxley arrested, Selfridge exonerated of blame. Yeah. And I took another look. I took another pause on the newspaper. Uh, and the, <laughs> the other article didn't really seem to be an article. It appeared to be a work of fiction. In which Joan and her husband Brood, presumably that's his last name. Jesus. Right. Were arguing over the raising of their child, Harold. Uh, Brood felt that Harold was already too much on Joan's, uh, apron strings, in fact. And, uh, yeah, there was a bit of a debate going on. Well, ship him off to kill the hun. (laughs) That's, you know, problem solved. I was hoping somebody had copied and pasted an actual Edwardian story into that newspaper, but I googled some of the phrases from it and nothing showed up. So I guess somebody just like wrote that up to fill in that column. Uh, You know, they have a lot to do set dressing wise, (laughs) Tom. Yeah. Although I think finding one would be a lot less labor intensive. Right. So, I mean, it may just be something that like is just some obscure book that never made it into Google Books or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Grove asks, what's going on? And Mr. Krabs says that Mr. Selfridge took on the establishment and Mr. Selfridge won, again, despite leaving the only piece of evidence <laughs> right. uh, linking Lord Loxley to the case uh, was left in the capable hands of his enemies. Right. Mustache says then also that King's fessed up uh, in the face of this evidence and says that Loxley instructed them to cut corners. Rose says that they couldn't ask for a better Thanksgiving present. Mustache then says that the procurement committee has invited Harry to join them and asked Mustache to be the one to tell him like they can't send a fucking telegram. (laughs) Right. As a lord, we find a journalist the most appropriate conduit for this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, Harry says, no thanks, I'm a store man at heart. May wonders what she'll I'm do. I'm an oil man. <laughs> 
May wonders what she'll do without Loxley to worry about and says that once again, the world is her oyster. Uh, despite the fact that with his uh, going to prison, presumably, uh, right. and not having had much of an income to begin with. Right. Well, they do have the country estate, so right. it's hard to say. It is hard to say, and I imagine she could just sell that off, and that would be enough to live out a life in a a fancy life in a townhouse. Yeah. So that could be all right. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. There is series three. Well, I also have no idea how property in the case of a husband going to prison, yeah. like what how I have no idea work. how that would work at all. So anyway, all of this better than living with Loxley and better than right. us having to look at his lizardy face <laughs> for yeah. another season. Oh God. What if there's a long plot line in prison next season? <laughs> I really don't even want to think about that. I can't believe you just even said that to me. Lizard prison. Oh my God. <laughs> no, 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 we're not. No, it's not happening. Everybody write a letter to ITV right now. It's too late. They've already shot the third series. Have they? Uh, they started on it at least. Okay. So. Anyway, we get a shot of the three Selfridge girls smiling, uh, the fire of the damned, of course, burning in Beatrice's <laughs> eyes. Harry asks Rose if something's wrong, and she says, oh, no, enjoy the moment. She's reminding me of some... Uh, I know who she reminds me of. She reminds me of Melanie in Gone with the Wind, oh. who like is like dying constantly. He's like, oh, oh, no, don't... Don't worry about me. And I'm just like, shut up, bitch. Let people worry about you. My God. Okay. Quit being a Christian martyr. She can't. I know. She's written that way. <laughs> uh, off to the side, Kitty tells Mustache, well done. And he asks if this, if this means that they can start again. She says that she'll consider it. And Mustache says, Kitty, Miss Hawkins, you led me to believe. And she interrupts believe. Led you to believe what? Like the living doll she is. <laughs> But then she laughs and says that he can tell her over dinner, at, at which she can call her kitty again if he wishes. And uh, she heads off, and he watches her go, and she gives him a look back, and he keeps watching. And he's like, I'm going to call you kitty all night long. No, he's not. She's not going to give it up, man. I know. But She's... he'll call her kitty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Martle enters Martle House and encounters Florian, who has a suitcase. He says he cannot stay in that house. I'm like, you're a refugee. Where are you going to go? But Miss Martle asks him to stay. She says that she's been fighting her feelings for him for stupid reasons. Ginger reasons. <laughs> she doesn't want him to go and says to stay. Please stay. Please. Yeah. And Florian drops his suitcase. They start making out. Uh, and again, should have a freeze frame on this. Right. But it was really nice, and I liked. I mean, I just like. I like Martle, and I. Oh like, yeah, this yeah. is gr- listen. Yeah. This will, of all the things that happened in this episode, the Florian Martle thing, I think, was the. Oh yeah, totally. Easily the best, or the most satisfying, at least. Uh, we see Leclerc walking through Agnes and Leclerc's park. That was totally always a thing. And then we see Agnes sitting in the lair, and she puts her engagement ring down on the desk, and then gets up. And I'm like, oh my god. Do you have any idea how many tricks Fat Thomas had to turn to buy that ring? <laughs> Remember when he was a hooker, everyone? I know. Oh, we've all come so far. <laughs> I like how he's making fun of uh, Igor, like, oh, don't do a belly dance. And I'm like, you banged a lady for money. Well, but he didn't do a belly dance. It was just an English prostitution scenario. 
At Selfridge House, Harry's getting dressed for dinner and reflecting on how long it's been since they've had a family dinner for Thanksgiving. Uh, he tells Rose to hurry up so they can go downstairs. Rose is fully dressed. He right. is not. So I'm not sure what the power imbalance is there. Yeah. But uh, Rose says she has something to tell him. She hasn't been feeling well and she'd been putting him off. Harry then sits down next to her. Jeremy Piven with his concerned face on. Right. She says that she'd been putting him off because she knew something was seriously wrong with her. And now she's been to the doctor and it's her lungs and there's nothing the doctors can do. She says she's dying. Again, we don't know of what. Clearly, lungitis. I mean, my guess is that it's tuberculosis because people were still dying of tuberculosis at this point. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm like, can you not give us a specific diagnosis? Like, Jesus. Yeah. Well, like, why not? And is this, I mean, this is a historical character. If she did die early of something, presumably it was something that, you know. That we know something about. Right. Like, even if they didn't know at the time what it was, we know what they told her at the time it was. Exactly. They had names for everything. Yeah. Also, please don't spoil us on what actually happens to her. Oh, yeah. Or, like, what she had. We want to, like, see it fresh. Right. I feel like I did actually read at one point, but I don't, on Wikipedia, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah, I've assiduously stayed away from Wikipedia on this. Yeah, yeah. LeClaire stands by the fountain in that park that he's always loved years back. Really? You hadn't heard of that park? (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, Agnes runs up. She says that she's not marrying Fat Thomas and that he told her to come to LeClaire. And was he right? LeClaire says that he loves her and he has wanted to say those words for the longest time. So meaning since you left the American embassy. When which was, you did say those words, essentially. Right. Like, well, that was when he was like, I just now realized that I love Agnes. Yeah. That wasn't that long ago. That was not the longest time. That was a Look, medium he's time. He's being very melodramatic. He's in a park, for God's sake. <laughs> anyway, Agnes says that she loves him too, against the evidence, and they kiss... And he promises to come back to her, and the music suggests that we're all super into this, and you would think that we would be super into this. And just- Look, I mean, a lot of things in this episode fell flat for us, yeah. res- resolution-wise. Yeah. And this is the biggest one, because honestly, I would have much rather gone into this into the break between series with him having gone off to France and like them not having like resolved this in any way. Right. I think that's more compelling, and then mm-hmm. if he does come back then in the next season then that's actually interesting. Like, you know, my ideal scenario is that, like, George is dead. You know, either Franco and or Fat Thomas is dead. Like, not there's no way the two of them make it out of this alive. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, But, um, like, look... But then, I mean, like, I just look. They've they're taking breaks, like long breaks between series. I think it would be really interesting if they did just jump to after the war. Yeah, like you know what? We all watch parades end. Okay, <laughs> eyeliner. We don't need more about Schomburg. We all did. Man, that was so good. We rewatched a bit of. We it did. We rewatched the episode where <laughs> Sylvia goes to visit Christopher at the front, and we were like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, so good, especially yeah. when you're drunk. <laughs> Pro tip. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah, and then like party. <laughs> There you go, everybody. There hasn't been much of me doing Agnes in this episode. Yeah. Because uh, Tom just kept coming up in the it draw. As it happened. Uh, but, yeah, but LeClaire would be changed by the war and then how that would be. And- but I think if he was changed by the war, it would be better for both of them. Well. I feel like this is a weird kind of cruel thing to say. But I think <laughs> both of them being changed by the war is a good thing for their relationship. Because they always had something kind of mournful. Yeah. About their relationship. Yeah, that's true. Um. 
in that like it could you know like it could never be or like whatever right right it's just it's a little bit too saccharine of an ending for these characters because i mean we like them both as characters except for the part where Henri is a stalker right um i mean that's the other thing too that Henri's arc through this season makes no sense like considered from Henri's perspective yeah like or just well and look they're both very passive people right and like you know she only goes to him because fat thomas told her to right like fat thomas has to literally set them up like as he orchestrate the whole thing yeah but like but right but but fat thomas isn't gonna be around to keep their relationship going (laughs) hi uh have you had sex recently (laughs) uh no but like Henri is passive, but he's always been very self-directed, yeah. which sounds like an oxymoron. And I mean, Miss Teller needs direction. Like, I think that's why she's good at this job because it's right. like, here, do this window. And then like, she's good at operating within very specific parameters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Hopefully they can kind of repair some of the damage that they did to LeClaire's character. Right. I mean, I think Agnes fared very well oh, this season. Absolutely. I mean, she was great. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so we'll see. This just was not ideal. It just wasn't earned. Yeah. That's it was what just, it was. And look, I under, I love to ship, but the joy in shipping is the will they part. Is the anticipation. Yeah. Uh, don't act like you hung out and watched the Rocky Horror Picture Show all the time in high school because you didn't. I, I just know how to make illusions at times. <laughs> <laughs> Cultural Cliffs Notes with Tom Schneider. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, whatever. Fart noise. Right. For that subplot. Yeah. At Selfridge House, Harry is uh, attempting to defy the will of Longitis <laughs> by saying that they'll get the finest doctors in the world and blah, blah, blah. And Rose interrupts him and says that there are limitations to what anyone can do. And uh, Harry, not pleased by this. That is not why Harry became this successful. Right. Um, but she says that what he can do is go down with her and enjoy their Thanksgiving dinner and get through the rest of the evening just like I planned. And then in the morning, they will let everybody know that she is dying. And Harry is like, okay. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I liked this particular moment where Jeremy, where she asked him that and Jeremy Piven is like, okay with it. Like, I liked how we played that just as sort of like... Like, not even put, just being like, okay, got to get myself together. Yeah. I, I see what the point, and I'm going to do it. You yeah. Know, like, there was not. No, and you can see at the end of the scene, though, because she stands up, and you see him kind of crumble. Yeah. And you can see Jeremy Piven going, nailing it. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Through the tears. <laughs> at dinner, everybody's going around giving thanks. Beatrice kicks off by giving thanks for a pink chiffon dress she bought in the store that day. Which, she can be that shallow because she's the daughter of the Dark Lord. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, New Gordon gives thanks for his parents because he knows the difference between Thanksgiving and I'm glad I'm rich day. <laughs> Is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know. Uh, they only tell you once you're rich. I assume it's any time you accidentally kill someone <laughs> and then like you don't have to face any consequences. <laughs> Here's your I'm glad I'm rich day cake. Uh, it's shaped like Roman Coppola. <laughs> it's made of blood. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> blood cake. That does sound like a kind of British thing. <laughs> it does. A Rosalie gives thanks for them all being back together. A Violette gives thanks for them being back together specifically in London. Like what happened to you in America? We don't want to know. <laughs> 
we're also only speculating about which one is Beatrice and Violette, but we're pretty sure we're, we're right. pretty sure we've got it. <laughs> Ma gives thanks for the clearing of the Selfridge honor. Uh, May, on being prompted that it's her turn, because she doesn't do this sort of Yankee bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> she gives thanks for friendship and forgiveness. Rose gives thanks for all the years of happiness she has enjoyed with Harry and her family. And finally, Harry gives thanks for family, friends, and for his beloved wife, and for this moment in time, which he shall cherish forever. Which, you guys are really bad at, like, masking this terminal illness. Well, it's Thanksgiving. You can pretend it's a whole... Whatever. ...touching Thanksgiving thing. Anyway, credits. Next up on ITV, The Widower. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's not funny. Yeah. Except that it is. It is funny. Yeah, so series two. Yeah. I don't think it hangs together as well as series one. As a whole. As a whole. There were elements of series two that I did enjoy immensely. I liked seeing the uh, maturation of New Gordon. That was right. great. That was good. Yeah, I liked... It's interesting. I, I feel like I liked the characters better. I feel like... You know, it's like I feel I like... I think the characters were better drawn, but it wasn't exactly known what to do with them. Right. And again, I mean, I'm sure a lot of this stuff actually happened. So to an extent... The showrunners are are kind of obligated to hit certain points. Right. But they just hit certain things so badly. Yeah. Well, here's what I'll say. I mean, you look at Ellen Love versus Delphine. Like, the Ellen Love story as a story was way better than the Delphine story. Oh, absolutely. You know, as evidenced by the fact that they swept Delphine under the rug in episode nine. They were like, shit, this is going nowhere. Yeah. We've got to get this out of here. You know, I like, I mean, the whole May and Loxley thing. I did like that, that a lot. That was great. That was shockingly good. Yeah. You know, so there was a lot of really good stuff. I mean, it's not, you know, again, last season had, you know, the car of death. And, yeah. And, and all this sort and of And windows. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. But. I also, I mean, I liked seeing Harry and Rose kind of work through their problems. Yeah. I don't know. I'd kind of call it a draw, I feel. I think you're right. I, I really would call it a draw. Yeah. I mean, Gordon was so much better this time. <laughs> right. Good Lord. Yeah. Let's give thanks for small blessings. That's what we're thankful for on Thanksgiving, that yeah. new Gordon ain't old Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, you know, as we had said, the Marlon and Florian thing, I thought pretty much no, all the way through. Marlon that was Marlon becoming a woman of independent means. Right. Even Mr. Grove's arc. Uh, you yeah. know, Mrs. Crab on Hoarders. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, you know, Keebler was kind of hit or miss, I thought. Yeah, I mean, he was kind of, you know, he's a pretty cartoony character. Yeah. That's the name. Um, I don't know. You know, I would just, I would definitely put them on equal footing. Yeah, you know? I think you're right. Like, I think with Downton Abbey, Series 1 remains just like a very nearly flawless season of television. Mm-hmm. And both of these are flawed but about on equal footing like they're just there's nothing distinguishing yeah I, I can't say yeah it's hard for me to say definitely one or the other yeah you know yeah, yeah. kitty and mustache had a great arc oh yeah i think that was probably the best and most fully realized arc out of anybody's arc yeah i think that's a it, fair it, it hit you know some familiar beats it hit some unexpected beats yeah and it, it took both of the character it developed both of the characters and it took them to really interesting places right right Whereas delphine was pretty much the same the whole way through and like just like her deciding she was gonna steal harry away from rose i guess she's got her chance now <laughs> thanks to lung itis <laughs> but like you know, that could have been a really interesting story if it had just been about her friendship with Rose. Right, exactly. 
Well, because it's like... And, like, well, and her, like, because, again, you remember where they were at the beginning mm-hmm. with Rose being so on the outs with Harry. Yeah. You know, like, at that point, then that's an interesting relationship is to what extent she's pushing and pulling, mm-hmm. you know, within their relationship. Well, and if just somebody's as- going to try to bust up their marriage, it's only interesting if Harry's aware or at all tempted by right, it right exactly that otherwise was, it's a narrative lead balloon it's stupid right because they never gave any impression at all that harry would be remotely susceptible no you know uh, you know uh, that's not that's not what he does and that like the fact that they made delphine who's otherwise such a savvy character that's stupid right because it's like look at the people that he's with mm-hmm. like you need to look at who's the wife What's he getting out of that relationship? Right. Who are the people that he's banging on the side? I'm sorry. Yeah. You're no Miss Spender. You're not. <laughs> hey, Miss Spender. <laughs> Just, and it's like, he doesn't need a business partner. Right. He's got plenty. Yeah. And like, Agnes for Towler. For sake, you clearly have a whole bunch of Miss Spenders in your, like, semi-employ, hanging out with Big Bill Summertime and whatnot. Yeah. Like, if you're trying to bust up their marriage, like, use one of them as your weapon, maybe. Uh Too bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Anything else notable? Um, again, so many characters brought back in the last two episodes for no reason. You know, the Ma and the sisters. I don't have a problem with them coming back. All right. It 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 doesn't bug... To me, I felt that they were all kind of natural i didn't feel like they were like written in for plot like to me i was like oh they just this is when they come back all right and i thought that was fine and i'm fine with even how they use blankensop like it was a minor thing at the end and that was that all right in my opinion that's a perfectly mr crab uh mr crab never really gets an arc well he'd got a little bit with that uh with with the birthday thing and then the the shooting the shooting thing yeah but uh still that actor does tremendous work which i'm a huge fan of we had the artful porter oh man the artful porter and rose's whole helping out at the store that was great that That was good i wish they'd done something more interesting with the labor union stuff yeah that that was a bummer yeah that was really unfortunate well because like they set it up like it was going to be this whole thing right and then it was the war, and it's like, you know, they may not have known that on the show, but you, showrunner, you <laughs> right. knew that, eyeliner. You yeah. knew all about it. Right. Um, yeah. Random. Less random celebrities, but that seemed of a piece with what the focus was this right, season. So. Right, You know, it was less celebrity of the week. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But a good season. We a enjoyed season. it. We absolutely did. There's definitely things that we like way better about it than Downton Abbey. Yeah. I mean, again, at the end of the second season, we're less uh, perhaps effusive. Yeah. But I mean, what it is, is it just has a different energy. Yeah. Like, it's just... Well, it's like our middle class roots, I think. And I think we've right. discussed that before. But yeah. I mean, I identify with it really strongly for that reason, I think. Yeah. No, I think you're right. But I also think that it's just more... It's just more up. It's brighter. Uh-huh. It's, you know, like... Yeah, Downton Abbey is very pensive. Downton yeah. Abbey always feels like they're in mourning. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just compare the two credit sequences. And that's, that's true. Like, that's yeah. the whole thing right there. Yeah. Like, there's bells ringing in each of them, but in much different ways. Yeah, it's like one tastes great and the other's less filling. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
I think that about sums I, it up. I, I don't think we're going to do better than that. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for uh, sticking around for Mr. Selfridge. We are going on a two-week hiatus. Correct. Just FYI. So, like, prepare yourselves. Yeah. Uh, we'll be posting at some point within that two weeks what exactly our plan is for the hiatus programming. Right. Uh, we've definitely gotten a lot of great suggestions up to this point, but if you do have more, feel free to send a telegram to upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com. Uh, or you can even shoot it to us on Twitter or Facebook. Yep. Although honestly, the email is probably the better way to go. It probably that's is. just going to stick more. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we're you know we'll see how as we work out the full schedule. I'm leaning towards our first episode coming back being the 1925 version of the Wizard of Oz, which looks insane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're talking about some Anne of Green Gables happening. Yeah. Uh, getting on the Little Princess slash Secret Garden train. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to look for some things that are in more of the Empire, like we were talking, like, you know, something, if we can think of something that's in, like, in Africa, for example, yeah. or things like that, but... Yeah, so we'll review everybody's suggestions and sort out the schedule and uh, be ready to go. All right. All right. Well, until next time, up up yours downstairs, downstairs. luncheon out.